Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. everyone and welcome to the housewives archives a podcast where we discuss in great depth all things real housewives my name is james evans and joining me is my co-host and if she can't be my friend just please don't be my enemy it's ellie nunn hey <laughs> i'm so happy to see you i i feel like it's worth pointing out that we've had a, a little bit of a break our end with this because of me i've just had a lot of shows i've had i've been <laughs> touring the country i've not had time for you james in She's my been, busy busy no, life you've been here there and everywhere and while you've been living it up doing all these shows i've been stuck in a basement hunched over my laptop desperately trying to edit the last episode because oh hugh boy as <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong i'm still recovering it's been amazing it was a joy and a privilege <laughs> having macy and preston at the table discussing the chaos of the dinner party from hell but it was up there with one of the more, most it was traumatic- more chaotic than the yeah. episode <laughs> i didn't think it was possible but it was like i had the spirit of alison dubois in my laptop just making everything as complicated as possible long story short we had a lot of technical issues um completely my fault and it completely just made- our fault yeah. we forgot to tell preston and macy to wear headphones yes so bless you james like well I'm sure done. it's not even noticeable the final product but it, i hope it, it was it, worth it it's basically <laughs> taken me about eight weeks to edit um so that was our little uh, hiatus but we're back in 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 full swing and the only reason that i mention the hiatus because obviously when these go out hopefully there won't have been any gap but is because uh it couldn't go unnoticed probably in how much has happened in the most recent series of Beverly Hills. Right, you've consumed a lot. So basically, I, before going any further, I just feel like I need to say, and you might agree with me there, it might, this might be a wee situation, mm-hmm. that when we started Beverly Hills and we prefaced it in the intro with being like, we're not going to talk about later seasons, I think really Beverly Hills peaked in its first couple of seasons I am eating humble pie over here because I got stuck in a dodgy couple of seasons in the middle. I didn't keep the faith. I got swept up in like the Ramona high drama kind of madness of New York. And I thought Beverly Hills had become a bit boring and... I just couldn't have been more wrong. And now I feel like it's having this other cultural moment, obviously, with everything that's happening with Erica. And I sort of now feel that we're going to have to we're going to have to do an episode about like the most recent Ellie it's like, I mean series it, I mean we're artists and we're inspired right now and I feel like the the bravo <laughs> right. gods are speaking through us and it would be rude to deprive people of an episode it's like bubbling out of right, me so exactly. like I and I have to say I've also really been enjoying I I'm not even sure if I can use the word enjoying because it's also been toe curling but the most recent series of New York which I kind of thought New York had, was also spiralling down the drain. I, I don't know if in some ways the loss of Bethany just meant the show had lost its backbone and didn't really know what it was doing with itself. But my God, that Shabbat dinner. Oh my and God. like, I Ugh. I really am finding this like the most cringeworthy series to watch. There is something amazing about like taking our modern sensibility and the conversations that you know, we're trying to have societally moving forward and then just sticking like Ramona in the middle of that is just like glorious it's to honest, watch. I feel like it becomes an overused phrase, doesn't it? Saying something's cringeworthy when we're talking about these shows, but it was truly the most cringeworthy experience of my life watching Ramona. And it's when she's trying to do well and she's trying to engage in the conversation, it just makes it even worse. And I don't know, it's an interesting one at the moment where I feel like everything's flipped. And I have to admit, I kind of never thought I'd see the day where... I'm more excited to watch an episode of Beverly Hills than I am of New York. But yeah. people are really going hard at New York this season. And I feel like it's it's kind of unfair because 
they hold themselves to such a high standard, don't they? That any substandard season of New York is still an above average season of basically any other show on television. Yeah. And I have faith that the girls will pull it together. I still love them. And I, I, I still find it endlessly entertaining. That whole montage where we just had <laughs> Ramona being dreadful over the last decade from beginning to end was oh just my like, God. I've never laughed so much. And just, be- yeah, Beverly Hills. I mean, I didn't think it would be possible. I always thought they don't make them like they used to. But here we go. We are yeah. truly experiencing a renaissance. And you could kind of see at the beginning of the season, you're like, oh, God, it's going to be another minor issue that's been blown out of proportion. Sure. It's just going to be fucking Sutton Crystal and, and Crystal. Sutton. It was so boring. The whole season. And then, bam, here we go. And I'm completely gripped. Absolutely. And I, on a personal note, I'm so glad that we're now back in sync again. I feel like we've like joined I know. forces. <laughs> I know. And also it's been really genuinely thrilling to have Housewives back in my life in terms of uh, while I was working, it was so lovely to like come home and have it on all the time. And I'm really upset to have got to a point where there's only like one episode each week that I'm having to wait for it. Mm-hmm. It's been so, it's been such a privilege to have loads to catch up on. And Especially because now I'm ashamed to say the other night I started Nine Perfect Strangers and I was like, this is trash. This is like true trash. I've read the book. I know the book is trash. And I'm ashamed to say that I'm now like completely addicted in terms, it's like three episodes in and I was gutted to find out that it also only goes up weekly, the episodes. And now I'm finding myself like desperately craving the next episode of Nine Perfect Strangers as well. So I'm... I'm frustrated that I'm now on everyone else's schedule. I know it's a real hard one trying to kind of like rejigger myself um, because I have this voracious appetite for housewives. And now because I can't sustain myself for a whole week, I've really been driven to like the depths of of Instagram and Twitter and all these sort of like behind the scenes mm. clips, like anything that I can take that sort of like nourishes me until I get my next fix of well, Erica's legal woes. This is where Macy says that we have to watch Salt Lake City. I have. Oh, yeah. damn it, James. No. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there no Housewives content you haven't seen? But, no, Salt Lake City's good. And I think you need to get on that quickly because season two that's going to come out, that's going to be a doozy. It's going to be Erica round two. Okay, so I might go off and watch Salt Lake City now as I wait for my next job. Suffice to say, without giving away too much, someone gets arrested and word on the street is that she's like arrested while they're filming, but she gets a tip off ahead of time. So she gets a getaway car from her aunt, who also happens to be a double amputee, and then they're like pulled over on the <laughs> That, that, that sounds bonkers, but it kind of weirdly makes sense. And you need some context from season one in order to truly appreciate the, the sure. mastery of of that. And it just goes to, sh- you know, Bravo, it's always going to keep giving us something in some form. And Salt Lake City is the moment. And I can't wait for you okay. to start that journey too. Okay, amazing. That's what I'll get on to next. <sighs> so what are we talking about today? So today um, we're going to talk about, because... This is the Beverly Hills season, and we said several times season two is really the, the the crown jewel in the Beverly Hills franchise, and it's impossible to talk about that season without touching on Taylor Armstrong and her oh. arc as we go through this. And, you know, I'm sure most of us have seen the the season and know what we're going to talk about, but for those who don't, it's pretty, pretty hard-hitting stuff, and we're going to kind of try our best to keep it moving and not get too bogged down in the, the darkness. Um, just a little, I don't know, heads up, I guess, that it's mm. um, talking about some pretty weighty stuff. But I think what I wanted to touch on, and I don't know if you feel the same way, is not so much the specifics of Taylor, but kind of how production responds to her plight and how the other women talk about it and um, the kind of the weird chess game that goes into that, um, I would say. But before that, I just want to say it's such a joy to go back and watch this season, in part because it's so great, but also because we get to relive that confessional look that Kim Richards gives us where she's wearing that turtleneck blouse with like a massive bow right (laughs) under her chin and it's quite the look and it makes me very uneasy because it honestly looks like she's getting throttled by this bow or like eaten by it 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yop, yop. like by the time we get to the end of the season, we just see like her forehead. That's all that's left. But it seems very on brand for Kim. And I have a theory that's why she's always late or a no show for places. She's just like always at home, like writhing around in her clothing, wrestling with a pashmina or something. It's just oh, so. I do. Yeah. I feel like that because it's also like a shimmery, very light tangerine. Yes. I feel like the shirt, yeah. like, I feel like between that and Alex McCord's like flesh chains. Uh, and, completely. Um, yeah. Leah being in the like Mr. Blobby morph suit. Like, yes. there's been some. There's been some really good looks. I was going to bring up Alex McCord's Flesh and Chains, and also it brought to mind, um, like, do you remember Teresa's Raven, like, Game of Thrones inspired look, where she had these, like, black feathers? That was like yes. a really big, dramatic look. Like, those really reside in the, the Housewives yes. Hall of Fame for great And I have looks. to say, and Erica's one with the, like, hat and the. Where it's all sort of drawn, coloured in. Yes, and she looks like she constantly has like a teacup and a saucer and the lips and the the hat sort of down. She On looks like she's like a French Coco kind of character from a... Yeah, the hat's like at an angle. I'm doing a really bad job. <laughs> We're both like frozen We're both doing our impression this angle. The one, the same colouring as like the KFC logo. Yes. She's like Mrs. Yeah, KFC. Yeah, she looks like Mrs. KFC, but like right. in a Parisian chic uh, Heightened. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting what you're saying about um, the sort of darkness surrounding Taylor, because I really wanted today to try and start with like a lighter side of Taylor. And I went back and I was looking at her first introduction and a lot happens in the first two minutes of meeting Taylor. And what I came away from it realising was that you actually can't talk about Taylor without talking about the kind of darkness that surrounded her. Because from her first 60 seconds on the show, it's all there. It's not like Taylor's introduced and then slowly we understand that these problems exist. We literally get like a leg steps out of a car and from the second that the rest of Taylor's like body comes with it, we've already had our first kind of quite sad fact in this thing that Taylor... Taylor introduces herself as someone who's always known that she was like destined for something huge and saying that she that she almost envies less aspirational people happy with a kind of middle class living because maybe they wouldn't feel the pressure that she feels to like make something of her life. Which is quite like an odd first statement. Yes. It's like in a show that immediately is meant to sit back and being like, yes, we all have lots of money and we all have lots of lovely things. And it's and it's meant to sort of celebrate that. Taylor comes straight in with like, it's quite like a frantic thing to say, to be like, I need to keep this. I don't, it's like an immediate imposter syndrome of like, mm-hmm. I'm not from this world. I've always wanted desperately to be in this world. And I feel the pressure of that. It's funny that we just mentioned Alex McCall because I really feel like her and Alex are in many ways two sides of the same coin and that Alex represents sort of the comedy of that very gauche social climbing, desperate Mm -hmm. to belong, not feeling quite of that world. And Taylor really is sort of the tragedy of it. And I feel like that has always been part of Housewives' thesis statement, I guess, that like money and status is, um, there's always like an implied seediness to it on these shows there's like an implication that everything might look amazing and rosy but behind but the scenes it's price, not quite so, what it yeah, seemed yeah. and I feel like it almost feels like a cliche before the, the show's even started I feel like it's something that it's building on a history and like soap operas and this that and the other and you think oh yeah okay sure but with Taylor like you say there's like a rawness and a messiness where they she's really taken that subtext and like just dragged it kicking and screaming to the surface exactly she's just straight in with it and we then go immediately Before any kind of, I feel like other people, their introductions, you get more of sort of them shopping or sort of clips of them living this lovely lifestyle or Camille walking all around her estate. With Taylor, we cut straight to her getting filler done, Botox Mm. filler. And there's this really strange cutaway from her intro in which Adrian is basically saying she didn't think Taylor should be getting the filler in her temples where she's getting it. Mm-hmm. And then we watch a kind of strange, like, flesh boil bubble yeah. up on Taylor's face. And Adrian's cutaway is like, I tried to hide my face, but I thought it looked awful. Which is, like, just very odd to cut away from someone else's intro to someone else's opinion. Before it's, like, comes straight back in with Taylor 
admitting this incredibly sad thing of, I feel that I have to do this surgery, otherwise my husband will leave me for a younger woman. Which again, is just like an incredibly raw, vulnerable statement to come out Mm -hmm. with. And we're like 45 seconds into your introduction. Mm. It's like a funny, it feels like she's the poor schmuck that was convinced by the producers to be the first one to go on air and get plastic surgery done. And it's like another one of those stereotypes that makes me a bit annoyed when people who don't watch Housewives but think they know what it is, they're like, oh, it's just all these drunk women with fillers and big boobs and they're always fighting. I'm like, no, it's so much more, there's so much more going on there. And it's so it's sad to see that Taylor, and this isn't to shame anyone who gets surgery done by any means, but it's just sad that she felt like she had to be the one to kind of tick that box for whatever reason like yeah. it was expected of her. And that the other women, like with Adrian's talking head or Kyle saying like, I just wish everyone would like put the fillers down and we'd all fight fair. It reminds me yeah, a bit of- Yeah, lol, looking in- at Kyle's face yeah, now, exactly, by the way. Yeah, for sure. It reminds me a bit of season one of New Jersey where Danielle has all the women over to have that, um, someone come over and give them all fillers and Botox and none of them do it. And then Danielle is the only one to get it done. And it feels like a bit of a freak show where all of the other women are sort of lined up going, ugh, she's, ugh, I would never do that. Like she's sort of been thrown under the bus a bit. And I feel like it's a role that Taylor kind of plays for the production, but also in her own life with this sad desperation that she has about an insecurity about losing Russell. And I feel like you get the sense that she has sort of put all her chips on Russell and this marriage working out. Because it's her key out of bumblefuck nowhere, Oklahoma. For sure. And And because she's just said that in the sentence before, what's so sad is it's not even like we will discover that. Within this first minute, you've basically said to us, I need to get out of that place. And so this is how I've got out of it. But I'm terrified I'm going to lose it constantly. And like you say, there's no shame in the women getting surgery. But what's so sad is that we're being shown someone who's not like, yeah, fuck you. I look amazing. I love this look. Yeah. We're being shown someone who immediately is saying, I feel I need to do this in order to make sure my husband doesn't go after a younger model, which is like a deeply, deeply sad reason Mm -hmm. to be doing that to your self it's also funny like you say about the mirroring with alex mccord it does feel because the like boil pops up kind of volcanoes on her face it does feel a bit like her going to the like skin doctor where like you say it's like the sad mask side of alex's comedy mask side of being sent up by the show immediately yeah and then we meet russell very quickly and taylor says this first sentence about russell is very masculine there's no blurring that and then we cut to russell and it's hard because lisa vanderpump later in the season when she has that moment where she's saying where she's almost giggly about the fact that she's like i'm so sorry it's just that taylor's described right this like cowboy and then russell walks in and i feel like the audience does have their own slight moment of that in mm-hmm. and it's so hard because i don't want to look like i'm sending up masculinity or like i'm implying but it's unexpected not because of necessarily anything in Russell's appearance, but in Russell's demeanour is very low energy and very shut off. And there's something quite dulled about Russell. So it's just quite unexpected from mm. from someone built up as very much in control and charismatic and masculine and stuff like that to there's something quite grey about Russell. Yeah, I suppose it taps into the si- the kind of the double life that Russell and Taylor lead behind closed doors doesn't it because when we see russell interacting with the other house husbands who have a natural familiarity with each other and they're kind of like joking and laughing and smoking cigars together there's an awkwardness to him and when we see at the birthday party for kennedy that they throw in the first season taylor says to russell at one point okay can you get everyone to the dinner table so we can start lunch and he's kind of saying hey guys let's let's all go to the dinner table and no one hears him And he's sort of like awkwardly wandering around, sort of chit-chatting to no one in particular. But then I suppose it's also becomes very clear over time that he's an incredibly controlling presence. And maybe that's what Taylor was getting on about, that in her mind, masculinity equals control in some warped way. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, again, crazy that Russell is introduced and the first thing we hear him say is, how's your little company doing? Mm -hmm. And again, just how mad that you're on a TV show about like this glamorous lifestyle and we've not even managed to get to the place of like a pretense of a lovely relationship. Like their first on-screen interaction is her looking like visibly hurt and frustrated 
by him being dismissive and patronising. And that's a lot. That's a lot for your first two minutes of a show. I have to say, I don't know what's more unnerving, watching moments like that or moments when they're really trying hard to put on a brave face. I know I'm jumping ahead Mm. here, but we'll come back to it. But when they're in the limo on the way to the white party, and I've never seen in my entire time watching these shows such awkward, stilted, badly improvised dialogue between two people who are supposedly lovers. It's it's unreal. It is one of the most painful. It's almost as painful as like Kim and Ken's limo journey to (laughs) the opening of Sir, whatever it is. It really is horrible. Like you say, the almost staged happiness is worse in some ways than the quite real glimpses into their life. And I have to say, for me, there's a lot of reality TV where my sister said something really interesting the other weekend about people are often thrown by the word reality in the phrase reality show because they're like it's not real it's not like why don't you think the producers like manipulate it and it's the emphasis should really be on show like it's a show it's a show that's like protect it's like a show of reality what was so fascinating with those first few seasons of beverly hills was that it really didn't feel like they needed to manufacture drama or Mm -hmm. Usually it would be the drama that would feel like awkward and staged and uh, contrived. But like you say, what's so strange in that first couple of seasons is that actually it's the moments of peace or Mm. contentment or happiness that actually feel the most forced. That's such a good point. Thank you. You're welcome. Can we we talk a little bit about Kennedy's birthday parties? Because I feel that it is such a... We have to. This is the light, I think. Yeah, yeah. The light comes from like, what's so great, I think, is that you watch the one in the first season and you think it can't be topped. And then the second season, Kennedy's Birthday Party, is just even better. I have had that song in my head for probably the last (laughs) week. I don't know what his name is, like Ace Young or something. Like, you make every day a birthday to me. And he's just like there, like with like a cup of fucking vodka or whatever. Uh, He's like, happy birthday, Kennedy. (laughs) Like, he's just the most D-list celebrity just playing out on this tiny stage. Yeah, and much like Alex McCord, Taylor walks right into the trap of walking around being like hey ace young's here ace young we've got ace young here and everyone's like cool and she's just like crying at his birthday song and they've got this weirdly flirty relationship where she like lights up for 30 seconds and you're like maybe taylor and ace young (laughs) should go off and be happy together yes he's like he looks stoned like he looks like he's on something like it's just he's a consummate professional i would say i think he was uh, yeah as i said that i was like he's probably not stoned sorry Ace Young, if you're listening after After the um, we think Elise. you're amazing. <laughs> After Elise, I don't want I don't want to say anything bad about <laughs> anyone who might be listening. I'm I'm very aware. Like lots of the friends of seem to tune in. Yeah, um, I um I will say though, I in my head I, I thought he was at the Mad Hatter Tea Party because I also remember there being another song written for Kennedy at that one and Kennedy absolutely hating it and covering her ears. Yes. But it just clearly, Taylor doesn't learn her lesson but and falls into that trap of bigging up this party and whipping herself in a frenzy both times as if it's the fucking Met Gala yeah. and worrying over these minute details and it's all for a kid that of course couldn't care less because she's four and she's just sat in the corner picking her nose and... And she actively hates it. And it's sad. Yeah. What's so sad is that Kennedy doesn't just not like these birthdays or sort of seem disinterested by them. I think what it screams is that Kennedy is a child who so desperately just wants quality time with her parents or the attention of one-on-one. I think what's clear in both parties is that she's overwhelmed and displaced by how and my god i'd be overwhelmed by those parts like it's too much it's too much to have a a song sung for you and everyone looking at you the entire time and my god looking at these two seasons and watching quite a lot of interviews and, and information about like what happened next with those like kennedy must be like a seriously i really you know hope that she's okay but like it's a lot to happen in your in your early years. And I think those parties are just such an example where you think, my God, she just wants like Taylor, just take her out for dinner. Just you two. Like she just wants to be clearly with like, she always seems to find like one person or like two people. And she just wants to remove from the party and then go and run around in some hay. Yeah. 
Well, like most kids, I don't think most kids like want a giant party and lots of attention on them. And it's just so sad because you can see that it comes from a place of Taylor just wanting to show how much she loves Kennedy and to pour that love on an a combination of wanting to prove to everyone something about her lifestyle but also wanting to show Kennedy like we do all this for you it's all for that love of you but actually it'd be so much more powerful to give Kennedy attention I think where that it's it's really hard to explain the difference between like showering someone with the attention of everyone and everything and giving someone your attention and then for her to be used as some kind of like toy between Taylor and Russell because as soon as Taylor gives her that necklace Russell immediately brings out this dog that Taylor specifically said she didn't want them to get and of course Kennedy loves it but then we get this weird scene where Russell's sort of bonding with these guys and saying and Taylor said not to get the dog and I said yes we're getting the dog (laughs) and thinks it's hilarious and getting off on his own power yeah of course, she ends up being allergic to it, so they can't keep the dog anyway, but the whole responsibility falls on Taylor's feet. It's a really, really... That was, for me, like, the first real played-out instance of this being... Something's not right in this marriage. There's yeah. a serious toxicity to it. And actually, you get that in um, Kennedy's next birthday party, that moment where, you know, look, I think we all like to tell Dana to take a chill pill every now and then. No, don't say take a chill pill. That was one of <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say shove it and that sounded a bit rude. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we split get the that... difference. Find a happy medium between the two. <laughs> that was such a Sutton thing to say. Yeah. You know, we'd all like to tell Dana to take a chill pill. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that moment where Russell really snaps at Dana and she gets really upset. And it's another really uncomfortable moment that's like caught on camera of like a loss of the control of like the show and the... I was going to say the sheen, but I mean, they've definitely lost the sheen by that point anyway. Mm -hmm. But Russell on the whole is able to fly under the radar for two seasons by being quite quiet and awkward. And that's one of those moments where it's uncomfortable the way he speaks to her. Yeah. Um, Um, Can we talk a bit about Beaver Creek? Yes. Yeah. Beaver Creek. Beaver Creek definitely was like a turning point, I think, of whether there are cameras that like was another moment where it felt like it was caught on camera, like an incredibly raw, unfiltered moment in that hot tub. Yes, 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 exactly. So it was interesting for me because we get a bit more of an insight into her her history and her life choices and, and her value system. And she, she says that she's basically been by herself until she married Russell at the age of 34. And she's terrified of being alone again. And she sort of like banked everything on this marriage and it working out. And it really heightened it to that level where it's almost like she's talking about as if she's made this sort of Faustian bargain Mm. where she's willing to sell her soul for shiny stuff. And we also see how incredibly resentful she is. But it's interesting because it's all emotion, but then very, very scant on the details, isn't it? And you you feel like- Oh, quickly, speaking of that resentment, just while I remember, because is it the end of the first season? Because Taylor doesn't make it to the white party at the end of the second season. Is it the end of the first season, the white party where there's one of the most cinematic shots- of all of Beverly Hills, which is where Mauricio and Kyle are slow dancing and you can see a very genuine connection there. And I think they're kissing and Mauricio whispers something in Kyle's ear and but they're not mic'd or something at that point, so you don't hear it. And the music's playing and the camera just shows Taylor sat on the floor like a child watching them with mm-hmm. such sadness and such heartbreak and at this point Russell's left early and he's left her there standing with that piece of cake (laughs) it's genuinely tragic and it it it, is I like tear up in that shot because she's really caught in that moment it doesn't feel like a manufactured it's not like a yeah it's not about her that moment it's like they just caught that Taylor is watching them with such longing for that kind Mm -hmm. of intimacy yeah yeah aspiring to it yeah Mm. she almost feels like a bit of a Willy Loman in that she represents the kind of the lie of the American dream. Do you know what I mean? About how it's yeah. a really hollow thing. Like she's done everything right. She's she's a grifter yeah. and she's worked her way. She's gone through all these different identities and changed her face to get out of Oklahoma. She's here. She's at Carl Richards' white party. She's wearing a white dress, but she's still no closer to attaining that than we are sitting at home. We're both watching her and Mauricio in, with the same yeah. pair Did of eyes. Did you just say she's a, a grifter? 
Yeah, <laughs> I think she is. What's a grifter? Isn't it like, um, I just imagine her sort of, um, in my fan fiction for Taylor it, that I write in my spare time, I just imagine her sort of like being on a dusty highway in Oklahoma and she's sort of just like hitchhiking and she gets on the Do Greyhound you mean bus. It, are you, I feel like you're confusing a drifter and a grafter. <laughs> Wait, have I coined a new word? <laughs> Hang on. She is a drifter also. And a grafter. Well, okay, I think I went a bit heavy with the meaning. It's basically like a, a con artist. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not quite that um, judgmental of, of, of Taylor, but I think my point being, sure. she's kind Grifted, of like... Grifter, yeah, talented she's, Mr. Ripley, I just Taylor. get the impression she's like bought a book on like how to make it in Beverly Hills, yeah. memorized it from cover to cover and has done everything right, but it's still not enough. No, that was a beautiful point. No, genuinely. And I just think that that when she in the hot tub and she's talking to Kyle about how hard she finds it seeing Kyle and Mauricio, it's so, it feels so genuine and so yeah. painful for her to admit. And it's so difficult because one thing I think I really spot in the other women, and I'm going to talk about it again later when we talk about Malibu and the Malibu beach party, mm-hmm. is how compromised the women feel, you can tell, on whether to encourage Taylor to open up or to talk yeah. or whether to persuade her to not speak. Yeah. And they feel caught constantly between saying, you can feel Kyle in that hot tub is sort of saying, so why stay? Like, so leave. But I can't imagine how tricky it must have been to film this season in terms of how much, it's hard enough in life, how much do you give genuine advice to a friend in a situation that you're not clear where they're at with it and anything you say, they'll know that you think that from now on. We've all felt compromised in those positions where it's like, Mm -hmm. at what point do you actually share your opinion? And you can see them all fighting with that. But also, how much do they protect Taylor by being like, I don't want you to say something you don't want to say and have Mm -hmm. that out there, especially because Taylor drinks a lot more in this season. She's, She's suddenly being much more open on camera about things that she hasn't previously. But on the other hand, they seem to, they're also aware they're on a TV show where... Exactly. So it, it, it's just, yeah. No, that, it's it's very true. Real... It's so multi-layered. And, you know, in the later seasons, they all have a hard-on for Lisa Vanderpump manipulating stuff behind the scenes and throwing them all under the bus for the purposes of putting on a good show. And I'm sure there's a part of that in their heads as well of like, as a friend, I, you should really kind of not talk about this, but also, God, this is really compelling television that we're making right yeah. now. On Taylor's part, it's such heavy emotion and it's so descriptive in one way, but so scant on details. And then they're kind of tiptoeing so much. And it's almost like every other word they're not saying. And it's also, if you were to watch these scenes with your eyes closed, you'd only be getting half of it because what they're saying, they're then filling in the gaps with a lot of kind of like gestures and like, uh, and I've heard talk around town that Russell treats her not the best and there's so many gaps that we have to fill and it's you know obviously with the benefit of hindsight it's pretty obvious what they're talking about but um it's really a thing that slowly slowly grows over the season i don't know at this point as an audience you're sort of just left going yes what is it but the point is is that this conversation in the hot tub it seems to really unleash something in taylor for the first time and we really get one of several nervous breakdowns throughout this season. Yeah, that first, that Beaver Creek sort of spiral where, you know, she's in the suitcase and then she thinks her makeup's been stolen. And there's that shot where like her hair's sort of damp and she, I I don't mean this to sound like judgmental, but her forehead looks enormous in one of the shots. And she's sat on a chair and it's when Adrian's trying to talk to her and she's, she looks like the Joker. Mm -hmm. She's like smiling and like squinting at her. And she looks like um, it's like a docudrama about a serial killer. Yeah. And it's that whole dinner where they're sort of trying to speak to her. And she just feels so caught. You put it so well when you're saying it's all emotion, but like scant on details where she can't like say anything. So she keeps just crying. And yeah. that's so much the whole season. That thing that she's just, I honestly, I find it so difficult to watch and so upsetting how much with Taylor. It's just like seeping out of her and, sp- and like overspilling and... There's so much, just very, very raw emotion. Mm. And like you say, for every word she says, so much regret that she said even that. And it's just, it's agony to watch. It's one of my favourite 
tropes though in general on this show when women are having arguments at the table and then the chef comes along and they have to sort of just like stop what they're doing and listen very politely to the chef telling them what they're eating and this is like the best example of that where this poor chef tracy who's lovingly prepared the whole dinner comes in and she's having to like break up this really intense conversation and she's like going oh my and she's like shaking like a leaf as she's telling them all about this soup that they're eating and it's like the longest spiel ever and she's like talking about the five different grains that have gone into the croutons that they're eating and they're all just sitting there going "Uh uh-huh 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 yeah (laughs) thanks tracy (laughs) god i actually had that the other day but so poor waiter i was having a really rough day and i'd gone for breakfast with a couple of my girlfriends and i was just very very tired from work and then just as something happened where i like burst into tears very unexpectedly and quite like hard and my friend like came over the other side of the table to give me a hug to check us okay like just as the waiter was like one full English breakfast with scrambled eggs or whatever and you're like <laughs> just sat like weeping into the <laughs> into the beach. Like have a look at the dessert menu yeah I'll have a look yeah yeah, oh, yes. yeah I, like please. definitely yeah. just one yeah. of everything <laughs> I will but say yes. as well this conversation when they eventually do acknowledge that this marriage is abusive in so many words. They then talk about it in a way that we've sort of said before, where it really sort of shows its age, where even Lisa Vanderpump, with the best of intentions, says like, Kyle, if Mauricio hit you, you know I'd be there for you, don't you? And then Kyle is like, oh my God, if Mauricio hit me, like he wouldn't have a dick anymore or something. You know, I'd like chop his penis off or something. And they're like, ha 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 ha. And like Adrian gives the same answer. And it kind of, it seems really insensitive having her Taylor talk about how she's such a weak woman and she needs these women around her because they're such strong women and she wants to be like them where they're reinforcing this idea of I wouldn't let this happen to me and it's almost your fault it's crazy when you watch it back the way that they're just like oh my god if anyone even tried to lift a hand it's like you don't know you don't know unless you're in it you don't know unless you've lived a life that leads up to that and if you aren't living with the belief systems that Taylor must have in place and her self-image and like her idea of herself and it is crazy and of course I'm sure none of us would have like wholly flattering portrayals of ourselves on a show that was capturing how we react to a like a circumstance like this without fully understanding or knowing or whatever but it is shocking not only like you say how much they all come back with this sense of if it was me I wouldn't stay but also between each other across the season a constant sense of but if it's so bad why does she stay where it's like I think you'll find that's kind of abusers 101 but also speaking of how we now know conversations around this tend to go they all keep coming back to this thing of going oh but it's so hard because then we see Russell and Well, sometimes they sort of say we see Russell and he's nice, which I kind of find quite hard to... Like, we've not really been shown any evidence of that yet. (laughs) But also they're all like, oh, it's hard because Taylor tells us these things, but then she asks us to come over for dinner with them and expect it to be normal. So it's hard. They keep saying it's hard to know what to believe or who to believe. And it's like, again, how can that be your concern or like your question? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting how in this, there must have just been so much less dialogue at that point around these things there's one point i can't remember when it's said i think it i think it's at this tea party that comes up when taylor's out of the room and kyle says look there's either two options a taylor is lying or b she's in denial and they all kind of agree as if those are honestly the only two options that could possibly be completely ignoring the complexities that go into something like that that's not your own experience it's just honestly it's quite it's quite shocking yeah let's talk about the tea party yeah so it kind of starts as, I think in Taylor's mind, it's going to be almost like a mutiny against Lisa Vanderpump because she's really upset with her at the moment because Lisa went up to Taylor and said, and Lisa comes to regret these words, I'm not masquerading as your best friend. However, if you're in a sticky situation and you need any help, I'm here for you. And Taylor really doesn't take kindly to those words, does it's she? It's so strange, isn't it? It's one of those examples where... It's one of those strange situations where Taylor's still there trying to perpetuate the like quite surface level show drama and can't see that it's like Taylor that's none of us are looking at the show drama right now like yeah but also she does seem to maybe we don't see a whole side of Lisa Vanderpump that these women do but quite often Lisa Vanderpump seems to be totally misinterpreted and taken very literally and this is such an example where you're almost like shouting at the screen where 
Taylor's in such a state about this thing of you keep saying I'm not your friend. And it's like, on this occasion, Lisa Vanderbump actually quite earnestly for her seemed to say, yeah. look, I'm not saying this for the cameras. I'm not pretending to be your best friend. I know that we're not like as close as you and Kyle or whatever. But if you need anything from me, I'm here. And Taylor is so determined to take this as this this huge insult. And it's one of those frustrating moments where Lisa Vanderpump never seems to fully get out her explanation of like, no, what I was saying. She just keeps giving up and you're like, no, just say what It's annoying because Lisa Vanderpump does the very rare thing where when she recalls what she says, it's honestly verbatim. And Taylor misses out that word best, which I think completely changes the meaning. Taylor is telling everyone that Vanderpump just walked up to her and said, look, we're not friends, but da 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 that's very different to saying look i'm not pretending i'm your best friend i'm not trying to be fake or anything however like this situation yeah. you're in supersedes everything that's happened before and i just want you to know i'm here for you for sure that, it, the two very very different things and like you say lisa kind of it's just like oh whatever darling okay well and i think this <laughs> it's just this scene is a perfect televisual example of two people coming in contact with each other who just vibrate on completely different wavelengths aren't they you have taylor who is so highly strong she's suffocatingly earnest and eager to please and then you have lisa who's so nonchalant and like sarcasm is her bread and butter and you see it in this scene where their energy taylor is so far forward she's practically like i was gonna say the couch. even their like physicalities taylor's like forward right yeah. on the edge of the couch lisa's like horizontal lisa's like lying down for the whole scene it's really weird <laughs> yeah, it's really she's funny. so she's so it's like she just had a xanax she's just yeah. so loose and there's also that really strange bit where um it just always makes me laugh when taylor's saying about how Lisa's ego is so huge and of all the things to go for. And like, there are many things I'm sure she could go for. She's like, you are the screensaver on your iPad. (laughs) And it's like, it's so funny that of all the things, it's like, I'm not sure you could like take down a person for like having a picture of, and the fact that Lisa has to be like, it's Jiggy. It's it is like funny, but then the way Lee, but then the way Lisa says it, you think it's just going to be some like humble selfie she's taken with Jiggy, but it's like a full professional shoot of her like on a chaise yeah. lounge, like with this. Dog. <laughs> it's so oh, good. Yeah, it's funny. It's just yeah, it's great. And I will, you know, I don't want to seem like a Lisa Vanderpump blind follower because I know that that's she's a very controversial figure here. And I don't know. I feel like I tend to forgive her, and I don't know if it's like us being Brits. I think that the actual the British humor thing, I think, is a big part of it, and I know that they. Mm see that as like a cop-out however i think that maybe if you know this stuff about taylor and you know the positions she's in and that her self-esteem is really low it might not be the best idea to spend the whole of the trip at beaver creek being like oh god armstrong's here and like oh it would be you armstrong (laughs) you know yeah it's it's a misfire and i think what's great about the tea party scene is that moment when lisa vanderpump does say like i was looking at this woman and just thought why am i fighting this that i think she has that realization that she's like yeah, you're right. I'm not being sensitive to the fact that you right now just need a lot of support. Yeah. And actually, it's kind of extraordinary that moment. It's the, what gets me is when she says, uh, yet again, she's a really weak person and she wants, she needs to surround herself with these women. She's trying to be like Lisa. She's trying to be like Kyle and Adrian. And Lisa says, no, you need to be you. You need to be the best version of you you can be. And Taylor says, I don't know who I am. Oh. Even John Proctor at the gallows, he knew his name. It's James. like Taylor doesn't even have her name. James! <laughs> I'm coming no. at it with the Arthur Miller today, you know. Oh, I um, can't believe you just said that. Yeah. I thought it was a very good point. Yeah, wonderful point. <laughs> Practice that in the mirror. I bet you did. Yeah. I, along with your John Proctor model, along with your best. Right, yeah. <laughs> final. Because it is my name! Like <laughs> <laughs> <Next> a bit, yeah. <laughs> um, uh. Yeah, that tea party is a real, and obviously, like, there's a, a shift that happens. One thing I want to talk about to do with the way the show handles something is this moment where Taylor actually leaves and bumps into Paul outside. Yeah. And the women end up having a conversation while she's gone about Taylor's situation. And it's one of those things where the show, I'm interested in whether the show did this intentionally. And at this point, I'm like, again, I don't know morally where they stand with this, which is when Paul is looking at Taylor's face and he says, you look like you have a bruise. Oh. And I feel like the show intentionally cuts that alongside the women talking about whether it's true. 
I mean, I, I suppose it could have stayed in anyway. It's quite a funny image, him just like reaching through the bars of this gate and just like prodding her face yeah. to like. Well, it's dressed up surgery, in but... one of those funny comedy bits, isn't it? Where she's like, oh, do you think I need more filler or something? And it's like an impromptu consultation juxtaposed with this very heavy scene that's going on inside. Yeah, there's like a lot of tonal contradiction going yeah. on there. I guess I always felt that that was done intentionally to suggest that she was cu- that she had a covered bruise. Yeah. Somewhere on her face. And then she comes in and we get this... How does it get into the bit with Camille? Well, this is the thing, is that it's quite masterful how Taylor leaves the room thinking that this is a pylon on Vanderpump. And then she does come in and it's like she's been slapped around the face because all of a sudden while she's gone, somehow the conversation has just drifted back to Taylor and her marriage. And I think what sets Camille off is Taylor's trying to bring it back to Vanderpump and saying, I'm really annoyed with all of you because I said to all of you, I felt this way and you all agreed. And Kyle, didn't you think that Lisa's got a huge ego? Camille, didn't you think this? But none of you are standing up and saying anything. You're all being fake right now. And I think that's what sets Camille that's off. That's right. Taylor says, people in this room need to be honest. And then Camille's like, that's the biggest hypocrisy of all time because we're all part of a big lie right now collectively to protect you. And she kind of like gives her a bit of an out, doesn't she? And Taylor's saying- Yeah, like, and Taylor, s- and um, I know it's such a weird moment, isn't it? Because it's what we've been saying from the start that Taylor comes in so gung-ho from the start determined for this to be like about Lisa Vanderpump and just can't see that like the show doesn't care. It doesn't care about a pylon against Lisa. It yeah. doesn't care about if people thinking Lisa has a big ego. We've like, got bigger fish to the, fry right now. Like even the jiggy iPad thing, like she thinks she has that as a piece of evidence and we're like Taylor, big, exactly, like bigger picture. And in this moment, she seems to think when they're all being like, no, you need to be honest. You can see her confusion that she's like, well, if I suddenly go, well, no. It's funny how at this point they don't seem to have whatever the bravo, bravo, bravo thing is. I wonder if that came yeah. in after this couple of seasons. They don't seem to have the ability to be like, stop filming, I don't... Like, this seems a perfect moment where nowadays someone like Taylor would probably just be like, I'm confused, we need to stop because I don't know what we're talking about. But instead, Taylor kind of like blindly plows ahead of being like, no, it's fine, say it or whatever. And then suddenly has this thing said that she can't afford to have said on the show. Well, it feels like a recreation of her her relationship with Russell, where it's like, she feels like she's powerless to leave. She could just leave the scene right now. As soon as she's heard that, she could have made up some excuse or something, theoretically. And it's like the women saying, why don't you just leave? If it's such a toxic relationship, why don't you just leave? And it's so sad that she feels like a duty to the show or something. She needs the Mm. paycheck that she has to stay and have everything put out on the table. And it's kind of, she just sort of has to go along with it at this point. God, it's so iconic, that bit. It's Because we we don't don't say say that that he hits you. you. We don't say, we don't say that he broke that your he jaw. Broke your jaw. <laughs> Threw you in the bath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now we said it. Now we said it. But now we said it. Beautiful. And because that's not cool. It is crazy. Crazy. So should we talk about the Malibu Beach Party? Yeah. God. I think what's really fascinating with the Malibu Beach Party is, th- and this show has a responsibility here. Once again, Taylor drinks far too much, and I. I feel in some ways the show had a responsibility to make sure she drank less to protect her mm-hmm. from... I really think it was a moment in which the show not just allows, but perpetuates an environment for like a deeply upsetting situation. I actually find the the beach party really upsetting to watch the end of it. Yeah. And we get Dee Dee kicking off at Taylor. And what then happens again and again is honestly like flies on shit all of the women keep cornering taylor and backing her up against walls and i don't know whether from some of them there's an urge to protect from some of them that it's like everyone trying to give their opinion but i honestly feel that a combination of production and and the other women doing that push taylor into a kind of psychotic break right yeah because they all collectively sort of gather around her and push her up against one wall and bearing in mind this is a woman in an abusive relationship who clearly doesn't respond well to being... Like, it's... 
I mean, I, yeah, I can't Yeah, she, no, she's being pushed around. Her, she's being but like... She's, she's grabbed, she's pulled. To be honest, they all pull each other around to a crazy extent in that scene. Yeah. I'm amazed by how much Adrian's just like grabbing people left, right and centre. I know she's yeah. small, but like... She's like a bouncer. It's really not okay. She is yeah. like a bouncer. Then they all kind of get her where she's like up against the railing, but she's constantly in this place where she's like, everyone's right. And she keeps saying if everyone would go away and she is getting more and more upset and then you've got fucking Linda what's her name when she's like <laughs> this look ocean. at this ocean this ocean will <laughs> be bigger than all before. of us it's like oh my god like pick Enough, your Linda Linda like go take a flying leap time and, and a place <laughs> then they've all got her cornered around the table and then she finally kind of calms down a second and Dee Dee comes like right back over screaming and crying and is like I won't let you do this to her and it's Everyone goes on the offensive with Taylor and she is forced to defend, to like defend herself to a point where she has a nervous breakdown on screen. And I find it so difficult to watch. And one of the things I find hardest, I used to think that, I mean, I don't think it's okay, but when Adrian's trying to cover her mouth, I used to think that it was entirely inappropriate in terms of it being trying to make her be quiet because she was screaming mm-hmm. i have to say re-watching it i do think even though i don't think it's an appropriate way to do it that it comes from adrian being frightened that taylor oh yeah will say things she can't take what will say yeah. things because she is screaming you don't know what he, she's done to me i like i i think they're all in this really frightened place at that point that they don't know what will happen and I again, I know we keep using this word like raw, but I do think it's like one of the rawest bits of television. It's so strange that it got like turned into that meme with the cat and stuff when like it's actually the thing itself is like deeply upsetting. Yeah, no, it is. It's like for Taylor's body to just be kind of like flung around like she's a ragdoll, for her to be literally silenced. And then on top of it, for them to take that moment and then reproduce it again and again and again as a funny image out of context, mm. juxtaposed with a cat. It's just, it's it just feels like abusive again and again in some way. Well, it's just so strange. A violation. I think it's so strange because I think it's a moment people think of as like, oh, it's funny because these must just be like drunk, angry women where it's yeah, like, talking actually, about this stupid was shit. just like so much harder. And that the scene of Taylor breaking down in the limo where she, there are just no more words and when they've stopped yeah. for a cigarette and then Kyle keeps talking to her and Taylor just turns and just cries, I think is the most upsetting clip in like any of the Housewives franchise. Completely, completely. Having watched it again, though, at this white party, I don't understand everyone's thought process. And maybe you feel differently, like anyone listening, I'm happy to kind of welcome any other opinions, but I'm... I can't You're going to be like getting head... into it with people in your DMs. I, yeah, <laughs> Adrian's going to be DMing me. I just think it's so emblematic of the kind of world that they live in, that they get so bent out of shape over the threat of being sued. Because Russell sent Camille this letter saying if you don't say that what you said about taylor is a lie you're going to get sued i can't believe how seriously they take that and then at this party they're so cavalier in the way that they talk about taylor's situation it's like my god if they exerted the same effort extricating taylor from an incredibly scary situation as they did protecting camille and themselves for some bullshit legal threat that is completely baseless it's not going to go anywhere the whole situation might have ended up much differently and it's i don't understand how they all don't feel like an enormous amount of shame generally watching back those seasons of especially around this episode and the circumstances i i find it strange in the next season and stuff that there's not more of a sense of we knew, but we didn't understand yeah. or we... It is quite strange that Taylor gets turned into in the next few seasons, someone who people are just like, Taylor, we get it. Like, yeah, you like yeah. your husband killed himself. Like, right. yada, like yada, yada, yada. And it, it definitely feels like she becomes like this strange comedy thing where everyone's like, oh, Taylor, not now. It's not about you. To be honest, I don't I don't think Taylor should have been able to come back to the show. I think yeah. I think once her husband committed suicide, it probably should have been a moment to leave. Well, that's the kind of the thing with Taylor, isn't it? I feel like how most people remember her. It's like the reason for such compelling drama, but at what cost? And I think this situation with the white party, we've kind of already said before, it's kind of really comes to a head there. How not just on 
the cast part and how they might feel watching it back, but on production's part, for them to send Taylor home. So Taylor's turned up with Russell. Kyle's got herself all in a tizzy and said, you two can't come in because Camille's inside and she is scared to talk to you for fear of getting sued. So we need to protect Camille right now. And then Kyle says to Russell in front of Taylor, Camille wasn't lying because Taylor told her that. She's just repeating what your wife said. Can you imagine how irresponsible a thing to say? Not only to have said it now, so you've gotten Russell really wound up. You've humiliated him by turning him away from this party. So he's already really angry. And then saying, it's all your wife's fault because she said it. We're going to send you home yeah. now. And then for production to kind of like de-mic them and be like, all right, that's a wrap on today. See you tomorrow. It just, yeah, I, it's, it's I find insane. it very chilling. And for how upset they get beforehand, the fact is 20 minutes later, we're treated to them all having like a good old knees up at the white party and nothing's yeah. the pro- a problem. And then we have juxtaposed this very chilling image of them, of Taylor and Russell going home together. And Oh God, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about anything? (laughs) Only, I guess, what I was saying, just that, like, I find it really strange in the episode where Taylor comes with the black eye and and is like, I've left. I find it strange that it's not a moment where all the women just sort of, like, gather around her and are like, we're really proud of you. I find it strange that Adrian... They do, and Adrian's still very on the offensive and still very, like, no, but you really hurt Camille. And it's like... I find it odd. To me, it's a bit like when Lisa Vanderpump's brother killed himself and everyone kept being like, yeah, but I also think that this and this and this, where I'm like, how in that moment are you not yeah. just like, I'm so... I found it so strange. So this is a bit of a diversion, but Lisa Vanderpump saying to Erica, I I thought the thank you note, that the condolence note didn't go very deep. When Erica has such an angry response... Mm-hmm. And it's like, I took a photograph because I thought this might happen. And you read it and I'm like, it's... yeah, it's not that deep. Yeah. I think I'd have written something a little more if my friend, like, but also I'm like, how in that moment, in any circumstance in life, would you not just be like, I'm really sorry? Yeah. I know like, how could you like throw down your pudding mm-hmm. when it's like, fuck you that in your grief, you thought my like, hope you're okay wasn't enough. Like, I just find moments like that and I, I really get that in the, this thing of taylor turning up where the women yeah it turns up with her therapist clearly has done the work she's really like bigged herself up for this not only are they giving her grief but adrian is still coming out with bullshit of like we still don't know what to think it's so confusing it's like you're looking at her with a black eye right now like it is what, crazy what more do you need and like you say this should supersede everything else this is also petty you're not gonna get sued yeah. just stop it yeah And then I just think it's, yeah, I think it's sad that the show turns Taylor into a bit of a kind of an, like, annoyance. And... When it's also sad for her. In the the scene with, like, when Paul is shouting at Brandy and she's really upset by it. And she's like, I just can't deal with a man getting in a woman's face like that. And again, it's, the show sort of presents it as if Taylor's sort of making it about her, where, like I say, I I just don't think she should have been on the show anymore from that point. I think... Because they don't have time for her drama anymore. Yeah, like you say, they talk about it as if to say, geez, Taylor, it's over. Get over it. The emotional part of it aside, it doesn't work like that. But also, she's inherited all his debt. That's the other kicker. She bet everything on this man as her golden ticket yeah. into Beverly Hills society. He's yeah. a piece of shit. And also, he didn't even have any money anyway. So it was a failure on both parts. So she's just wandering around the rubble, trying to like put her life back together. But yes, the show has a bit of a feeling as if they're like, no, last season was about you. Now you need to let it be about someone else. And it's like, I don't think life works yeah. like that. So yeah. also, we I'm sorry, but we can't wrap up talking about Taylor without mentioning just because it was a phenomenal piece of television when Kyle and Kim call her to say, shall we keep Kennedy? And she's on the phone and she goes, oh, you have Kennedy? <laughs> and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> Taylor didn't know who. And I, I totally get it. it. was like, there was a confusion over like who was looking after Kennedy at that time. But it is just, it's, yeah, that is a very good bit of television to have caught on on camera. We've all been there, eh, mums? Exactly. <laughs> I think it's a really incredible thing, actually. And I I love to leave Taylor on the positive note of when Kyle and Kim do go and speak to her and say that they think she's drinking too much. And she takes it with such, like, grace and real dignity. And then there's just a very moving talking head of her saying how 
much it means to her to have two people behave like sisters and to look out for her like that. And I think it's just really demonstrative of what we've been saying that like, maybe with that support, Taylor would have dealt with things differently. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that they're so quick to come to her in that way over something like drinking. And yet, you know, obviously everything was more complicated with Russell, but it, it's a really good light to leave Taylor in that she, she really takes that on board. And I also was, was watching a load of interviews with her talking about obviously everything that happened. And I was just really touched to see her having like moved on with someone who seems yeah, very a nice guy. lovely. And it just made me think, I really hope that that is like, has continued. And I really hope that Kennedy is like well and, and yeah. has like had an adjustment period. And I just, I don't say this lightly. Like I truly wish all the best for like Taylor and the rest of her life. Didn't Macy get a cameo from her? She did. She yeah. Did. <laughs> She had a lightness there. She had a bright light. That exactly. So she's had. still fine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She's living her best life. Exactly. When in doubt, we can just get the odd cameo from Taylor to check she's okay. Yeah, exactly. Taylor, if you're out there, let us know how you're doing. <laughs> All right. Shall I, um, shall I take us out then? Ooh, take us out. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Housewives Archives. Make sure to click subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, we would really appreciate a rating. Or if you simply tell your friends about the show, that would help us out enormously. Thank you for joining and we'll see you next time. Bye. I'm going to go blow my lips some more. <laughs> Taylor is in a suitcase. <laughs> Taylor is in a suitcase. <laughs> uh, I'm going to blow your lips some more. <laughs>